for us. I hope it's not downhill from here. <laughs> I want to express from the bottom of my heart, and I know I'm speaking on behalf of my wife as well, we want to say thank you for the way you have blessed us in our time of transition. Uh, Alberta is very far away, and uh, you have made the move as easy, I think, as it can be, and uh, we covet your prayers and your your love as we uh, seek to pray and love uh, you as well. We are going through a series as a church. Uh, we are calling this series the Engaged Church. And uh, Pastor Ike has been preaching in the English, uh, Pastor Peter as well. And uh, last Sunday we, we looked at the qualities of an engaged church, faith, hope, and love. And today, we want to, with of the Apostle Paul, look at the greatest of these, which is love. The idea that I want us to ponder today and to digest, hopefully, and, and take in today is the idea that the bigger, biggest hindrance to becoming an engaged church is apathy. And the greatest motivation in becoming an engaged church is intentional love. So the greatest hindrance becoming, to becoming an engaged church is apathy. The greatest motivation in becoming an engaged church is passionate, engaged, intentional love. So I maybe should uh, define the terms a little bit in case you're wondering, what does the A word mean, the apathy word? Apathy means that you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. In my opinion, it is the most dangerous spiritual condition that a person can be in. At least if you hate God, you have emotion towards God. But if you don't care, where do you start? And so today I want to, as Pastor Reich was saying, I want us to develop a hunger for God. And as that hunger for God develops, hopefully our hunger for engaging others in this faith journey that we have will grow as well. So the passage of scripture I have chosen to preach from today is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. So if you have your Bibles with you on your phone or in physical copy, please turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Let's open in prayer again. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. This morning has been a blessing to us, and we trust it has been a blessing to those that have been here. I thank you for this body of Christ and the love that is uh, shown in it, and I pray that today will be an encouragement. It will be uh, a kind of a wake-up call. Uh, we sang today, wake us, and I pray that this will be uh, a sermon that can have an actual impact on the way we live. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in your Bibles, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives is in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hate, hates a brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And we have... And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I always appreciate how simple John makes his books for us. He makes the concepts very easy to understand. And in this passage of scripture, it becomes very clear that first, we must know God. And out of knowing God, we understand what love is. And that love needs to be lived out. I want to focus on three aspects of love today. The first is the nature of love. It comes from the goodness of a person. And the second part of love is the motivation. You could say it's the heart of love. So it's the motivation behind love. And then there is grace, which is love in action. So first we're going to look at how God is love and how he relates to us. And then out of that, we will see how we are now to live in light of that love. So in verse 8, John says that God is love. This is the same way of saying that my van is red or that my house is white or that someone is good. God is is love. It's more than just God has love or or God can love or God did love. God is love. It's in his nature. So when we determine whether or not something is good, we don't develop our own concept of good and then look to what God has revealed about himself and then decide whether or not God is good or not. We see who God is And then based on who God is, we decide whether we are good or whether our actions are good or not. So the love, the concept of what love is, comes from the nature of God, from the character of God. Secondly, we can find out what the nature of love is based on how God has revealed himself to us. And so I just want to bring out a few points about what love is Uh, based on who God is. First of all, love is relational. 
In John 17, 24, we read that Jesus and the Father had a relationship before the world was created. John 17, 24 says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So before this world existed, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit loved each other. It's in their nature. Secondly, love is self-giving. John 3.16, that verse that all of us, or many of us know by memory, says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It says he gave his one and only son. Out of himself, love is self-giving. Another part of God's nature is that love drives out fear. Those of you that have children understand that you would never, ever leave your children with a stranger. What is the reason for that? While you don't know if that person loves your children or they despise your children. And so we have a fear, and rightfully so, of what that person will do to our children. Now if we have friends, and we know they love us, we know that they love our children, we do not fear them. And so if we understand who God is, who God is in love, we do not fear God. Love is also impartial. Love is everlasting, love overlooks imperfection, love overlooks sin, and love overlooks hurt. There is nothing that is bigger than love. There is nothing that is stronger than love. Because because love is based in God's nature, and God is bigger than anything else, love is bigger than anything. So love can conquer all. So we see that love is based in God's nature, and now we also see that love is the motivation for God's actions towards you. I know this is something we hear in church often. We hear people tell us, God loves you. Have you ever taken time to allow that to really sink in? Have you ever pondered that phrase? God loves you. Maybe in the back of your mind you've been thinking, yeah, that's really true for the other people, but not for me. Maybe you don't see yourself as too valuable, but I want to assure you that God loves you. Yes, personally you, the person that is sitting in your seat. He loves you. passage of scripture that I find is very beautiful and it makes this point very clearly is in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Is this really in the Bible? This portrayal of a a loving God that takes time to rejoice over you. 
You are so special. You are so loved by our God that God takes time to sing over you. And probably in his song includes your name. This is the picture that we have from this verse. Each one of us is loved. You have value. You are appreciated by our creator. So this feeling that God has towards you, this motivation now brings on the third part of God's love, and that is grace. God gives grace, which is love in action. See, God loved us for dying for our sins. We see this in verse 10. And in Romans chapter 5, verses 8, it says, God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now this Romans passage has some key words. The first one that I want to point out is demonstrated. So God felt this love for you. And then he demonstrated it for you. I think of the old country song in John Deere Green where the country singer talks about this boy that paints his girlfriend's name on the water tower in John Deere Green. Demonstrates his love. God demonstrated his love for you by dying on the cross for you. And then the second phrase is, yet sinners. Why is this significant? While you are still a sinner, while you are still an enemy with God, Christ died for you. So in a sense, it can only be uphill from there. There is nothing that you can do now that he died for you in your worst possible position. There is nothing that you can do that will separate you from his love. Nothing. While you are yet sinners, Christ died for you. Talk about a committed love. Talk about living out the passion that God has for us. He came and he, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then he comes and lives among us. In verse 13 he says he sends his spirit to dwell with us. God loves us so much that he decided not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He wanted to dwell with us, in us, personally. Those of you that are married and maybe perhaps are engaged looking to be married, you can think back to that time where you were looking forward till after the wedding and you were able to live together. Finally, you could spend all the time together that you wanted. That longing that you wanted to spend time together. And so here God is pouring out his love to you, saying, I love you so much, I want to be with you at all times. And so he sends himself through the Holy Spirit to be with us. Then he gives us new life in the Spirit. In verse 9, it says that he gives us new life when we accept his gift of love. We receive a fresh start. And so from this, these verses, we can see the kind of love that God has for us. As we, as the teachers here, try to impart on this, this encouragement to become an engaged church, a, a people, a church that loves passionately, intentionally, we take our example from God himself. 
It could have stopped at point one, where God is love, and we learned that about him. Or it could have stopped at point two, where God says, I passionately feel love towards you. But no, God took it to the final and third spot, where it says God showed his love to us. Now I want this great love that God has for us to be the basis of us now loving one another. As verse 11 says, because God has first loved us, now let us love one another. So our second point is, we as believers now love others because of what God has done for us. See, it gives us a brand new reason. I think of the illustration of the young girl that is standing at her chair at supper table. And the girl keeps standing, her parents sit down, sit down. And the girl doesn't sit down, says, I do not want to sit down, I'm standing. And so the father goes and yanks on her arm, makes her sit down. And so she is sitting down. And then the girl mutters under her breath, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. I make this humorous illustration, I think, because very often this is the way we love. We might be loving on the outside, but we're hating on the inside. And I think as we as believers start to digest and to comprehend this love that God has for us, that he has shown to us, now this love in others will become easier because we'll be loving on the inside so that we can love on the outside. So first of all, we as Christians, in the same way that God is good, we are to be characterized by goodness. This happens by being born again. And I think it's very tempting for preachers and pastors to assume that the congregation, everyone's here, is born again. Maybe you're new here, you're like, what is that crazy phrase, born again? And you're wondering, why do they keep talking about this? When the Bible talks about being born again, and this passage talks about being born again, it is that time when you receive God's gift of salvation. So God's gift of salvation is God coming and living among us, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, and if we accept that sacrifice on our behalf, God promises to forgive us our sins, and when he forgives us our sins, he promises to give us a new nature. John 3 calls it being born again. And so when we accept this gift of of, uh, salvation, we become new people. And in a sense, we become good. Some of us maybe are not living out that goodness the way we should, but we as believers are supposed to be defined by our new nature that God has given us when we accept his gift of salvation. So we are to be love in nature. Secondly, we are to be loving in motivation. I think of the Hosanna song, I think we sang it last Sunday or the Sunday before, where break our heart for what breaks yours. And I think this is a great prayer for us to pray. As we think about how God has loved us, now we become motivated by love. We see others. 
that need love, and we feel love for them. And then the, la- uh, the third is living that love out. Our love cannot stay at feeling love for others. We have to act on that love. In the same way that God has acted on his love to us, we need to act on our love to others. But you may think, well, I think I'm not uh, at step number two, so I don't have to do step number three. I don't feel love, so maybe I don't have to show love. Well, Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 and 45, closely aligns whether or not we know Christ, we have salvation, on how well we respond to those around us. And in this passage of Scripture, John is very blunt with, his, uh, with us. He says, if you do not love your brother, the love of the Father is not in you. There are times when we will not feel like loving. There are times when we will probably even want to hurt the other person. But in the same way that God willfully came to earth and showed his love to us, we too can still show love even when we don't feel like it. It is a choice. I like what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. He says, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as, you, as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. So if we don't feel like loving someone, let us lead ourselves with our actions so that our hearts can follow. So this passage of scripture calls each of us individually to be characterized by love. Now, the third part is, we as a church now need to be characterized by love. It's very interesting as you read the New Testament, and it's something that's kind of lost in the English language a little bit, is the difference between you plural and you singular. In Greek, there's two different words for it. I think, yeah, German has it too. Uh, Many languages have a different word for you singular and you plural. In this passage of scripture, it's kind of half and half. But most of the commands are given to the church as a whole. So these commands to love your neighbor is given to us as a whole. So that means that each one of us personally needs to become a loving person because as a whole we need each one of us to be changed by love so that we can change the community through love. That means that each one of you does not get a free pass. Each one of you needs to work on, allow the the Holy Spirit to work in you so that you are the loving person, so that together you form as part of this body a loving church. So the first is, this church needs to be characterized by love. Love should be in our nature. 
Wouldn't it be great in this community if our reputation was, dear run, yeah, that's the loving church. That's who they are. They're the loving church. And secondly, this church should be characterized by being motivated by love. So when people talk about on the about us in this community, they say, yeah, I was at Deer Run and I felt they really loved me. And then thirdly, we are also to be a church that lives out love. We show grace. Love is an action for us. So I want to ask us some application questions. What can we do as a church to show Christ's love to others? Our love has to be intentional. And the German I've been, uh, in the last Sunday I was trying to have us understand how we need to be intentional in our loving. We have to be uh, purposeful in our loving. And I think as, as a church we need to be purposeful in our loving, intentional. We need to be assertive in finding ways to show love to people that God brings to this church and to those who are not in this church. And we need to be a welcoming place for new uh, comers. So today I want us to ponder the love that God has for us. Maybe wondering, this sermon was supposed to be on how do we love others. I spent a lot of time showing us how much God loves us. Because I really believe that has to be the foundation of us loving other people. As soon as we realize, digest how much God loves us, love will become more natural to us. First personally, and then corporately as a church. So in conclusion, I want to just end with my main point again. The biggest hindrance to becoming an engaged church is apathy. But the greatest motivation to become an engaged church is passionate intentional love. Let's close in in a word of prayer. Father, as we look at these words in, in 1 John, we see that we see a God of love, a God that is love, a God that has love, and a God that has shown love. We thank you for this. We worship you because of this love. And I pray that this love will become part of us. It will be accepted. It will be lived out and that as it is lived out, that you will give us opportunities. It is often easy for us to stay home, but I pray that you will make us uh, uncomfortable at home so that we can bring this love to our community. And we know you are a God of providence. We know that you direct our paths, direct our paths to places, to people, where this passionate love in our hearts can be shown. I thank you for the service. I pray that you'll bless the rest of the service. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand for closing song.